Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of 2 Thessalonians. We are currently in chapter 2 at verse 1. Hi, I'm Glendale Tony. I am glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading, why don't we, at verse 1 of chapter 2 of the book of 2 Thessalonians. It says this, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So in this episode, we find ourselves in the opening paragraph of chapter 2, and in the, the book of Second Thessalonians, we like to uh, designate the fact that our outline uh, pretty much uh, goes along with the chapter divisions, and in, in other expositions, in other books, I've kind of made a big deal out of the fact that sometimes the chapter divisions uh, become a distraction to us, and uh, we need to sort of ignore them. In this case, uh, they, they do seem to uh, 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 break the uh, the epistle down into various uh, uh, main topics, and so that's the reason why we use the uh, chapter divisions in this book as a part of our uh, framework or a part of our outline. You might say, chapter one has to do with persecution and waiting with courage. Chapter two is prophecy and watching with composure. Then chapter 3 is practice, working with commitment. And uh, so it breaks apart uh, quite well that way. And uh, we don't want to uh, uh, take away from the fact that, that still yet there is a flow of these passages and a connection of all of these subjects together as one entire letter. And uh, we should never forget that. Uh, but uh, this episode actually will... Uh, uh, take us through uh, some of uh, uh, some of the uh, verses in the beginning of chapter two, at least, uh, uh, that uh, talk about being gathered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are the verse two verses of chapter two. And uh, Paul wants to make clear that the day of the Lord is not yet, even though some have been confused in the Thessalonian church. And uh, then in uh, chapter two, verse three begins a new subject, or at least a shift of attention to uh, being unalarmed by the day of the Lord. And uh, what he speaks of there is the man of lawlessness being revealed. And that goes from verse three all the way through uh, verse 
12 of chapter 2. Now, then uh, chapter 2 ends with with a final paragraph of saved through the work of the Spirit, uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And there Paul wants to emphasize and, and bring our focus to the gospel and to be able to stand firm in the gospel. And so, That gives you an idea of the context of this letter and why it means so much to uh, look at the various themes that are taken up and what leads from one theme to the next. And so we'll see that because we're we're going to get started in that middle section, but we won't uh, be able to finish it because there's uh, quite a bit of material here and quite a few uh, things to define and to explain. So we uh, we sort of break into Paul's uh, context here in chapter 2, verse 1, says, now we request you, brethren. So uh, this this uh, flows from chapter 1 and some of the things he's already been uh, bringing up with them, that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a focus upon what we can anticipate for our own experience with walking with the Lord and then facing him and being in his presence. And uh, with that in mind, uh, from chapter 1, he says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Notice Paul still maintains this personal connection with these believers. He he makes a request of them rather than just forcing doctrine down their throat or or just uh, pounding them with truths and uh, and knowledge and lecturing them. Instead, he makes this request to them and he calls them brethren. He still considers them as well as himself being a part of the same family. They share the same father, and they are therefore uh, members of the same family. And uh, let us not forget that. If we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and we've come to faith in him, then we are a member of God's family by doing so. We've been born into that family, spiritually speaking. Therefore, we can call God our father and call each other brothers and sisters in his family. So he says then, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus. Now, uh, this word coming in the, uh, in the Greek uh, version would be parousia. Now, there's several different words in the Greek that refer to Jesus coming back again. We've already talked about uh, one of those words and emphasized them, and that is uh, epiphaneria. That is uh, uh, appearing, and it sometimes is uh, translated as a revealing, although there is a separate word. Uh, that uh, sounds like a term that we're familiar with in the English, and that is the Greek word apocalypse, and uh, or apox, apo- excuse me, apocalypsis, and that refers to the the actual revealing of the Lord Jesus uh, to the earth and to his uh, coming to the earth to reveal himself. And that's where we get the word revelation, of course. But here, this is his parousia, and he's already talked about that in. Uh, his first epistle, uh, uh, in uh, chapter two, verse nineteen of First Thessalonians, it says, "Who 
For who is our hope or our joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? And there he uses that word parousia because it has a special meaning for those who are believers in the Lord Jesus today in the church, so to speak. And, uh, and that is what he wants to emphasize here is because he will have his coming, but his coming uh, actually can be looked at at several different phases, if you want to look at it that way. And that is there is a first phase, there's a middle phase, and there's an ending phase to his coming. And eventually the ending phase is the thing we focus the most on because that is the part of his being revealed. That is what we call the apocalypse, even though it carries with us, uh, carries with our culture somewhat of a, a violent kind of uh, upheaval and a catastrophic kind of thing, which which um, in many regards uh, actually does happen, but that's not the, what the term refers to. It refers to the revealing of the Lord Jesus because currently he's absent from us except by the work of his Holy Spirit and his word to us and in us, then his presence is there, but in, uh, in a physical resurrected sense, in his physical body sense, um, he is absent from us and the groom is going to return one day for his bride. And that is basically what he's getting at here in verse one. It says, this is the first phase, you might say, of his coming. And it's not necessarily a revealing phase as far as uh, the rest of the earth is concerned. This is is, uh, parousia. This is his coming uh, of our Lord Jesus. And look, this is the phase that includes this. And our gathering gathering together to him. This is the main part that uh, comes with Jesus' coming at the beginning of this this, uh, part of his career because he talks about our assembling or our gathering together to him. That word is actually in this form only found twice in the New Testament, by the way. Uh, One of those times is Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. It says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So you see, in many regards, this is the thing that characterizes believers in Christ. It's not a building. It is not a structure. It is not a hierarchy or an institution necessarily. It is a gathering together that defines us. It is not an ethnic group. It is not a skin color. It is not a bloodline. It is not uh, um, a tribal uh, uh, thing. It is, a, it is a, a spiritual thing that we gather together gather around the Lord Jesus and in memory of him and in uh, in um, uh, purpose of each other in that gathering around his name and around his word and uh, being uh, motivated by his spirit to uh, to remember him and to focus on his coming later in uh, and in when that happens then we will be finally gathered together to him in a very physical resurrected since we will gather with him in the air. That, in essence, is found earlier in chapter 1 
that is, excuse me, in 1 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, in chapter 4, is a description of this gathering together to the Lord Jesus in the air. He doesn't come to the earth in this particular part of his coming. And look at this. It says uh, in quite detail here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. It's a rather long paragraph, but let me read it for you. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that this, and he's talking about those who are in the grave, by the way, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this We say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, there's that word, uh, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So that paragraph emphasizes this next event for those of us who gather together on earth in the name of the Lord. One day we anticipate that when he comes, he will come at least cloud high or sky high, so to speak, and we will gather, be gathered together to him in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. He will not set his foot yet down on the earth, but we will be gathered around him in the sky, in the air, and that's where we will remain with him there until he does set his feet down on the Mount Zion and returns to this earth in his appearing. Let's uh, take a break right here. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are still at uh, verse 1 and heading into uh, verse 2 now. And uh, we have been talking about our gathering together to him to meet him in the air. And uh, we believe that that is uh, a, a separate event from him coming to this earth in order to set his foot on Mount Zion and uh, begin his his judgment of the earth and his um, his reign as king of kings on the throne of David in Jerusalem uh, over the rest of the earth. So 
with that in mind, it says, so that's what we keep in mind when it says that you not be quickly shaken from your composer or be disturbed. So there is some confusion in the church of the first century. The Thessalonian church had been uh, infected or somehow influenced by certain people. We don't know exactly who, but uh, they have been... uh, 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 under such persecution that some of these people have come in and said, oh, this is the day of the Lord. This is the day of the Lord that was prophesied in the Old Testament and uh, in the uh, Old Covenant by the prophets of God in the, uh, uh, in the, in the Old Covenant. And so uh, they were getting very, very confused because they thought they were in the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord always had certain associations, and one of those associations had to do with persecution, had to do with troubling times and distresses and uh, all of those things. And now this local church in the first century was experiencing some of those stresses and some of those persecutions. And this was not an easy row to hoe, so to speak. This was a difficult time for this church, and it had not gotten better between the first letter and the second letter. It had gotten worse. And so they had become sort of susceptible to these false teachers that had come in and somehow influenced them that this must be the day of the Lord. And isn't that the truth? Even for the last uh, 2,000 years, there have been those messengers that come along that try to convince us, oh, this must be the tribulation that Jesus predicted. This must be the great tribulation. And there are lots of evidences perhaps to point to and to scare us or to frighten us into thinking that that uh, this must be it, and yet, uh, uh, and yet, in this case, it was not it. And he uh, and he continues to write here that we should not be uh, uh, shaken or uh, or disturbed. And here, in this case, it says or be disturbed either by spirit. That means some sort of angelic uh, revelation, or maybe uh, somebody claiming to have the Holy Spirit uh, giving them message messages and preaching or prophecy. And then it says or a message that means a sermon of some sort or some sort of oratory or a letter and that means written instructions or written doctrine and uh as if from us. And it seems as though in Paul's career, at least uh, in the latter part of his career, there were those who tried to uh, to forge his name, forge his reputation, and uh, put his name on their letters with certain other instructions that he never taught. And that's what was the risk here. And so he says, don't don't uh, lose your composure and don't be disturbed uh, that... Uh, that the day of the Lord has come. So, so in fact, in, in uh, some places, he actually uh, autographs his own uh, writings when he actually dictate, dictates uh, the letter to someone else to write it out, uh, some sort of a, 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 like a secretary or somebody else that's uh, transcribing his words onto, uh, uh, onto parchment or paper. It says uh, uh, in one place, it says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. Uh, this is the way I write. And so uh, 
that's what uh, he has to do sometimes is to put his own uh, signature at the bottom of the letter because of the risk involved in getting letters supposedly from the Apostle Paul that that the Apostle Paul never wrote. And uh, it is interesting that even today there are those uh, uh, forms of uh, letters and writings and, and other documents that people continue to bring up from time to time that uh, are not from God and they have not been uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And uh, the true believers in the Lord Jesus have never recognized them as coming from God. And uh, what's interesting is that that it, well, that was the case in Paul's day. Well, if that's the case in Paul's day in the first century, well, what do you know? The enemy has not stopped. In fact, some of those uh, forgeries and some of those uh, those uh, fake uh, portions uh, of so-called scripture are not a part of scripture at all, and they never have been recognized as scripture. And yet, uh, ever so often, somebody comes up with some novel idea that that these things have been uh, dis discarded or these things have been uh, held secret. Well, they've technically, they've not been held secret. They are just held as useless as far as the word of God is concerned and the uh, revelation of New Testament truth. And so it says then, and it says, uh, let no one deceive you. What's interesting is deception is something that was a part of the New Testament. And uh, uh, that is something that, that still we deal with today, of course. And that deception gets bigger and bigger, it seems like. But that's exactly what we've been, we've been warned about. Uh, the day of the Lord was predicted in the Old Testament. And, and the New Testament believers uh, lived with a certain anticipation that they knew somewhere vaguely in the future these things would be transpiring. If Jesus was the Messiah, then the Messiah would return and the Messiah would set all these things right and that would somewhere take place in something called the day of the Lord. And uh, it was in Isaiah chapter 11. It says, then it will happen that uh, on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant of his people. In Isaiah 13, verses 9 through 11, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning and anger, to make the land a desolation. And it continues on through verse 11. In Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it to the years of many generations. Uh, Zephaniah in chapter 1 talks about the great day of the Lord in verse uh, in verse 15, it says, a day of wrath in that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. Uh, Zephaniah chapter 3 
talks about the fact that God will deal with the uh, their oppressors, that is, the Jewish people uh, who have been oppressed by oppressors. And uh, that is one of the hopes that is given to the day of the Lord as well as the judgment. But you see, the New Testament has a little bit of a different focus than the, uh, than the prophets of Israel. And uh, this is the fact that uh, what in the first Thessalonians, uh, Paul even referred to in chapter five. Now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. For while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. Notice the contrast there uh, between they who are saying, that is, those people who do not know Jesus, uh, those people of the world uh, will be saying peace and safety, but uh, those are the ones that will be surprised with the coming of the Lord, not us. Those are the ones that will be caught off guard by the coming of the day of the Lord and the judgments that he will pronounce upon the earth and on the earth's inhabitants that do not follow him. And, uh, And yet we are considered a distinct identity from from them uh, so that the day wouldn't overtake us uh, like a thief. So it's not going to be like a thief for us. Why? Because we anticipate our gathering together to him in the clouds. It says in verse 9 for of First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there you see that uh, Paul is giving comfort to the believers that we will be gathered together to him in the clouds, and that will be before the day of wrath. And so it says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will come. It will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And so there it refers to the fact that there will be a, an apostasy, or in this case, uh, it refers to a falling away, and uh, uh, or a, a rebellion in the uh, New International Version uh, of that particular verse. It refers to uh, uh, those who who defect away from the the faith and that's what that is and uh it says in uh, Matthew 24, Jesus says in verse 10, says, at that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. So Jesus warned us about that falling away. Now, in uh, many regards, it could be translated as a departure, and it could refer to our departure that he's already talked about our gathering together to him. But uh, either way, uh, these things have to take place before there is ever the, uh, the day of the Lord. It says, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. So there is going to be a different revelation. This isn't going to be a supernatural revelation except for the fact that this man will ascend to his, his own um, 
uh, seat of power and his seat of influence. And he is called the son of destruction in this passage. He will have no good on his heart. Uh, He will convince people that uh, he is for their good, but he will not. He is the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. He will be an arrogant person. And as far as he is concerned, he knows more than the Bible. He is higher in his ethics and higher in his morals and higher in his religious understanding than all the Bibles put together or all the religious books put together or all the other religions put together or all the other gods put together. He is going to be that arrogant that he believes himself to be so sophisticated and so aloof and so knowledgeable of the spiritual dimensions of the universe that he can convince other people that he is to be respected greater than all the other gods. And in fact, he will take his seat in the temple of God. And that is this uh, holy of holies in the Jewish temple that may be rebuilt by this time, or at least a tabernacle erected uh, so that uh, there is a holy place in existence where he takes his place there in, in, uh, as being displaying himself as being God. That's the way verse four concludes here. This is the height of arrogance, the height of blasphemy, the height of idolatry that this man thinks he can replace the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, that he will not do. And that is what the Lord Jesus will not allow to happen any, uh, any longer than just a number of days. And then he will return in power and glory and judgment. Father, thank you for these words, these words of encouragement, these words of understanding, these words of wisdom that come from you through your Apostle Paul. Thank you, Father, for these words given to the Thessalonians that can encourage us in the 21st century to keep our eyes on the sky and anticipate the Lord's return. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock. <laughs>